Welcome to Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. Welcome to the final episode of 2020. I began this podcast with an episode explaining my learning journey, and I was hesitant on this episode just because I felt the information would be better initially incorporated into other episodes because I thought it might either bore people or appear self-righteous as a single episode. As it turned out, it was very popular. So this episode is a continuation of my learning journey in 2020 where I shifted gears, not because of COVID, but because it is time to make Upward Dogology mainstream. I talk about different avenues for achieving this goal, and I refer to some interesting scientific studies. This leads into my goals for 2021. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for three decades. My year began with my book winning the 2019 American Best Book Fest Award for Pets Narrative Nonfiction category. The book is controversial, or should I say a segment of the dog world tends to see it as controversial, yet it has received a lot of support from professionals and animal experts. So I continued to reach out to professionals, and in early January, I connected with professionals and animal experts such as Dr. Bruce Fogel, veterinarian, author, and president of Humane Society International, who read my book and gave positive feedback, while also acknowledging the challenges of changing the mindset of trainers and other professionals in the dog behavioral world. I also connected with James Haw, who read my book. He uh, is head of the psychology department of University of Washington and author of Dog Behavior, Modern Science and Our Canine Companions. I went to Saskatoon to meet with Darlene Chalmers, associate professor in the Department of Social Work at the University of Regina, Saskatoon campus, where she teaches the Animals, Social Work and Society program. I also spoke with psychologists and specialists in child drama and with veterinarians and other animal experts. It was interesting comparing cognitive behavioral therapy for humans and children, and in particular, children with trauma, and learning more about the brain development of dogs. I think the most important and useful information was the validation they provided that upward dogology is grounded in cognitive behavioral therapy, and that dogs think and learn differently than puppies, and they have the ability to think cognitively. In mid-February, I carried on a tradition of going to a foreign country to meet with rescuers and get some dogs to bring to Canada. This trip to Mexico was one of the best as I connected with two of my fave rescuers, Mateo Sassado of Riviera Rescue and Chica Curtis of Cosborough Paws Porto Morelos. And although I have worked with rescue organizations and volunteered at events for three decades, this was, as far as I can remember, the only one where there was no internal drama or negativity towards myself or others. Very refreshing. And the dogs are loving their new lives in Canada. Rescue organizations and shelters have a tough go with dogs being returned, especially adolescent dogs, for behavioral reasons. I have positive relations with many rescue organizations and with veterinarian clinics because people feel at their wits end and they contact rescues to surrender their dog or veterinarians to euthanize. Instead, these rescue organizations and veterinarians refer me which benefits the people, the dog, and the rescue organizations because they don't see the dog, which is great, and the veterinarians because then they don't need to euthanize the dog if they would do that 
Unfortunately, until upper dogology is mainstream, there will be thousands of dogs every year unnecessarily euthanized or surrendered for behavioral reasons. In early March, I connected with a client of mine from almost two decades ago who owns a wildly successful talent management firm in Toronto. She is connected with branding and marketing experts. So off I went to Toronto to meet with these people. I made some great connections and we were discussing the possibilities for a TV show or mini-series and then COVID hit. I continued to work with some of their employees to build my brand through social media. I've made great connections on social media and it has increased awareness of upward dogology. But as many of you know, social media is incredibly time-consuming and a bit of a crapshoot. Through social media, and in particular Twitter, I have connected with the science community. I find this interesting because I know there are many trainers and behaviorists who follow these scientific studies closely and put a lot of weight on them, even though, as proven with Caesar's way, training techniques do not need to be scientifically proven to be mainstream. Positive reinforcement training and balance training are considered scientifically proven because they are grounded in and adhere to the principles of operant conditioning, which is a scientifically proven methodology. Although the results of these studies that I've been looking at, they're often obvious, and even for people who simply have dogs, not even experts, I use these studies to prove upward dogology and to validate it. There is not one right way to work with a dog. If a dog is already thinking cognitively, which may be the reason why he is still alive or displaying unwanted behavior, it would stand to reason we need to work with these dogs by harnessing, not suppressing, their ability to think cognitively. I will give you an interesting example, or I think it's interesting. There are many studies on what is termed object permanence, meaning dogs know where objects are even if they cannot see them. And for example, I'm sure you know uh, that your dog knows where the treat tin is and that there's treats in that or where his leash is kept, for example. A common test for object permanence is to put a treat in a glass jar, show it to the dog, put the jar behind a screen, remove the treat, and give the glass jar back to the dog. Dogs will go look for the treat behind the screen. This is a quick explanation, and I have links to studies for this in the show notes. Why this is of interest to me is because I can use this to help people in everyday life with the problems that they're having with their dogs. For example, when my client is trying to put a ball away after playtime, but the dog wants to keep playing, so the dog barks and jumps incessantly. When the dog was under four months of age, my client could throw a treat down the hall and hide the ball as he went to get it. As he matured to over four months of age, they could be praised when they were playing and then perhaps give some form of a negative response, maybe the word no, or use a knee to stop the jumping, or perhaps even ignoring the dog, which is a negative response, but it's not horrible, and it often stops the unwanted behavior. These techniques are grounded in positive reinforcement training and negative reinforcement training or operant conditioning. Now, at over six months, neither of these techniques are effective. Why? Because of object permanence. Because the dog is thinking with the cognitive side of his brain. He knows the ball is there. He knows he wants it. And he knows his person has little to no manageability using methods grounded in operant conditioning. Therefore, it would stand to reason we need to advance from solutions grounded in operant conditioning to those grounded in cognitive behavioral therapy. The question of what to do with the results of studies and how to incorporate the findings into everyday lives to help us address behavioral problems is not necessarily the goal or area of expertise of scientists. 
One scientist, Dr. Naomi Harvey, focuses her studies on adolescent dogs because she believes this area of study is underdeveloped. In a message to me, she stated that studies often do not include this age group because they can be messy. And that is exactly what upper dogology has perfected and why CBT is so effective with adolescent dogs. I really enjoy her studies because they validate the need for upper dogology to be mainstream. As with many of the scientific studies I have read, I agree with the results. I discovered them from working with dogs in real-life environments, but essentially the results are the same. In the show notes, I have a link to one of the studies conducted by Dr. Naomi Harvey with a few of her colleagues and the results. For those of you who are familiar with upper dogology, either um, you might be a client or from listening to these podcasts or reading my book, you probably know that I do not teach the sit command. In fact, I spend a great deal of time unteaching it. If you are interested, I encourage you to read this article on her study. It's not long and it's well written. Send me an email on your thoughts about it and the conclusions or thoughts the scientist noted based on the results of the study. As well, let me know if you are familiar with upper dogology or your background in dog behavior. I will discuss the feedback I received and more about this study in future episodes. I'm pretty sure for those of you who are my clients, you will have an aha moment. Why? Because my clients know more about CBT for dogs than many professionals. Dog owners provide an incredible wealth of information. Although not performed as controlled specific studies, their feedback is undeniably valuable. They know changes in behavior occur at the adolescent stage. They know the techniques suggested to them, grounded in operant conditioning, can be limiting, ineffective, or counterproductive, irrelevant if their trainer or behaviorist or the ones that they follow online are telling them that positive reinforcement training and balance training are scientifically proven. My clients literally see their dog flip them the bird. Despite being told dogs do not remember doing an unwanted behavior hours after doing it, my clients know their dog knows. They know treats are limiting and even counterproductive in addressing anxiety and aggression. They know you cannot fool a dog by hiding an object, and they know their dog is working them. They know techniques which were effective under six months are no longer effective, such as kneeing a dog or avoidance. Avoidance, despite being considered an acceptable training technique by some popular schools, is an indication these trainers do not know how to address the behavior. Dog owners know their dog knows commands, but is simply choosing to not follow them, and they know a treat will not override that unwanted behavior. They know their dog can do tricks and enjoys canine enrichment activities, but giving the dog the choice of a blue ball or a red ball or a cheese treat versus a bacon treat is not option training, and dog owners know this. They know these fun activities are good to do, but they do not transfer over to helping them solve their problems integrate rescue dogs into their life, teach expected behavior, address anxiety and aggression. Even when these exercises reach the cognitive side of the brain, trainers and behaviorists resort back to techniques grounded in operant conditioning. They are still debating which reward is best and whether positive correction or positive punishment is acceptable, and if so, how to apply it effectively. Why is this? Because the experts, those with influence, despite knowing dogs can think cognitively, do not know how to harness this ability or to apply CBT to their finding. Dog owners are not doing anything wrong. It is not about patience or the ability to apply the techniques. 
And trainers and behaviorists are not bad at their profession as a positive reinforcement trainer or balance trainer. Majority of my clients are referred by other clients and veterinarians. And majority of them have either hired a positive reinforcement trainer or are dog knowledgeable on how to apply techniques grounded in operant conditioning. It is the system. It's failing them and in turn failing the dogs. It should be common knowledge that when techniques grounded in operant conditioning are ineffective, to advance to those grounded in cognitive behavioral therapy, which commonly occurs at the adolescent stage. These methodologies do not work in opposition to each other. They work together to allow us to effectively work with dogs. The foundation and core elements of these scientifically proven methodologies are different. Their approaches are different. It is just like with children at different stages of development, and in particular, from three to four years old, and then at adolescence. We need to harness their cognitive abilities. For more info on this, I encourage you to listen to the first four episodes of this podcast. Or if you're listening to this and scratching your head, I absolutely recommend doing that. My clients who listen to these episodes prior to us working together are a dream to work with. They actually process the information, making my job of explaining the formula to them so much easier. The results are commonly quicker. They scratch their head wondering why dog experts do not know this, why the upper dogology formula is not mainstream. I do not have that answer for them, but I know what needs to be done. As much as I love everything this podcast has accomplished and all the people I have made connections with and all the great feedback and support I've received, I need to devote 2021 to making Upper Dogology mainstream. All the avenues to do this, including media, social media, TV shows, scientists, psychologists, and child experts and animal experts and other professionals, or perhaps reaching out to animal-loving celebrities, are time-consuming For this reason, I'm going to decrease the episodes to one a month, the last Tuesday of each month. As always, you can help by sharing your favorite episodes and support the efforts of the guests who help animals and people in so many ways. Thanks to the musicians. We started with the funky Jeff Murdoch band. Then we went to the country powerful music by dog lover Danielle Bourgeau. And finally, the beautiful music provided by Open Strum, who is passionate about helping animals in need. I will be continuing to showcase OpenStrum into the new year and stay tuned for events that we'll be working on together. There are lots of exciting news and upcoming events, so stay tuned. And you can do that by following Upper Dogology on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And on LinkedIn, I am Billy Groom. Best wishes for the new year. Stay safe, positive and kind. And most importantly, enjoy your learning journey. (laughs) 